Hey, that's right. We are in chapter two. And once again, I baited you with it. But the topic is vibrancy. We got some serious audience participation going on tonight. But uh, Bible interpretation. How many guys would say that's an important thing to do? No, praise God, Byron is active tonight. And you need to get up here on the front row, Byron. Okay, but anyway, that's right. But uh, you can say that's cool. And uh, no, that's very important, okay? And uh, as we saw, the question that we started off with was, well, what does it mean to you? Now, as we saw last week, if you're here, that's one of the worst questions you could ever be asking, okay? Because really, we're the, the, the question we need to be asking is, what does God say to us? Not what does it mean to you, and then what does it mean to you, and then what it means to you, because nine times out of ten, the people, if they don't do it correctly with Bible interpretation, they're going to get something different. But God doesn't speak with fork and tongue. What does it mean, uh, what did God mean when he said it to us? And what we saw is the whole idea is to kind of go in here with the detective mentality, the old CSI Bible style, is how we need to approach the scripture. This is very serious business. And that's what we saw with the analogy uh, with uh, John's truck. If John wrote a letter 2,000 years ago about his truck, he's really had it that long. Do you think? Okay, whatever. It's a great one. I won't even get into the which one's better Dodge Ford, that whole argument. And uh, Ford, really? And this is how church splits happen. But anyway, let's continue on. Uh, no, so he's had this truck for a while. He wrote this uh, letter to his friend about his truck, his man truck, okay? And when he wrote that letter, all he was talking about was, it's a truck, okay? It's got some cool wheels. It's happening, man. Look at that. You guys like my artistry? Yeah, what, and there's John, too, and he's smiling. Woohoo! Yeah! Forget his nose. But anyway, so that's right. And so he's all excited and happy with his man truck. And, but again, it fell into a crack. Somebody found that letter 2,000 years later. And so they gave it to three different experts. And they read that letter. And they came up with three different meanings as to what John meant by man truck. Now, when John wrote the letter, he only meant one meaning. It's a truck. That's it. You know? And, and the, believe it or not, that's how people, unfortunately, approach the Bible. They act like it's something so super difficult that only those with some super duper a degree can understand. And that's not true, okay? It's just a lot of common sense things as we're going to begin to continue to break down. Now, why is it important? It's kind of where we left off last time. Well, because if you get it wrong, okay, this isn't just like, oh, I'm sorry, you just had a bad piece of chicken. Now, isn't that an oxymoron? A redundant statement. Byron, get up here. I'm serious. You're awesome. I need you. And, uh, but uh, anyway, so but it's like, no, you get this wrong. Okay, where do you think false teaching comes from? Right? Does false teaching have an effect on people? Are there cults out there that say, oh, no, we base our beliefs on the Bible. Right? But when they got the wrong Jesus, that means that people aren't going to heaven. Where are they going? Okay, that's serious stuff. And it all has to do with how do you approach the scripture, Bible interpretation. This is where not only false teaching, but the people that promote are false teachers. Are there false teachers in the church today? Yeah, this is why, as we saw, we ended up with so many different denominations, okay, in the world today. We got the, the church of the robes and the church of the no robes, the church of the blue carpet, the church of the red carpet. You know, usually secondary issues, okay? And, and why is the church split up the way it is in so many different factions? Because people approach the Bible, unfortunately, inconsistently. And they come with this. And these second, you know, it's just it's crazy. It's very important. And why is there so much sin in the church today? Bible interpretation. We're going to get into that a little bit more. So, well, that's what, that's what you think. Or that's your interpretation. Remember that from last time? Or, or, well, that was good for then, you know, that culture. But today it means, 
No, it means the same thing, okay? Just because it's been 2,000 years, it's still the same thing. God has not changed his mind on that particular thing, okay? Now, we get into the issue of this down towards about mm, two-thirds way down. In the middle of that uh, third paragraph, fourth paragraph, it says this. We must approach the Bible text like a crime scene investigator looking for clues. Going in with preconceived ideas about what we will find will tend to cloud the evidence, or even worse, it could possibly allow us to totally miss some evidence altogether. And again, that's where sin comes from. That's where apostasy comes from. False teaching, false teachers. Okay, serious stuff. We need to take this serious like a crime scene. Pay attention to what's going on here. You got to get this right. Okay, because eternity is on the line. A strong, vital, awesome walk with Jesus Christ is on the line. Okay, this is serious stuff. Okay, and he says this. As you approach the text, take a reality check and ask yourself these questions. Number one, did I eat chicken? Now that I have your question, let's look at the real one. It's this. Am I willing to lay aside, listen, my denominational or preconceived, is your big word there for the first blank, preconceived theological filter in such a way that if the evidence of the text, i.e. the Bible says something contrary to what I was taught even by my denomination or my preconceived beliefs, okay, or what I was taught, Okay, even if that happens against my interpretation, I will yield to the clear teaching of the word of God. You catch that? So if I'm approaching the word of God, I got to do a reality check. Am I just in there just to verify what I want it to say or what I think it should say or what people have always told me to say, so therefore it must be true. I'm not saying don't doubt in your instructors and go out there and, and question everything, whatever. But, but if, you, if you're honest and you're approaching the scripture and all of a sudden you go, whoa, wait a second. That's not what my denomination teaches. That's, and dare I say this? That's not what my pastor's been teaching. I, I'm not saying be nasty and disrespectful, you know, and I'll get to that. And how, how do you handle situations like that? Because I've had to go through that. Okay? Okay, you need to be respectful to the authority over you, but that doesn't mean you've got to sit there. Okay? Maybe it's God's clue that you need to move on. Okay? Let me give you some examples, okay? Denominational preconceived theological filter, if it disagrees with, okay? I've had to do that a couple different times, Okay? When I first got saved, okay, man, coming out of my background, if you guys know my background, obviously, uh, 1980s ex-headbanger, drug addict, sexual more, male chauvinist pig guy involved in the cold. I hated God. I hated Christianity. I thought I was God involved in the new age, probably was multiply possessed, and it was horrid. It was dark. It was whatever, but I was a blasphemer of God. I, I'd be the first one to say the Bible is a book whooped up full of errors, and a bunch of intellectual uh, idiots had to have this tell them what to do. I was much more smarter than that, and that was me. That was my background. So then coming out of that egregious, horrible sin and blasphemous behavior, Okay, it wasn't just the sinning part, but it was another sin of being a blasphemer of God. Okay, when I got saved, I was like, whoo, praise God for eternal security, right? Praise God for the cross of Jesus Christ. Praise God when he said, it is finished, it is finished. Praise God that his blood has the ability and the power to forgive us of every single sin we've ever done, past, present, future. Woo, right? When I first got saved, that was common sense, right? Common sense. Now, as I began to do internships, I began to go to different denominations as the Lord would have it and I look back and I see kind of his wisdom in that you got to see what's going out on out there okay in the church and sometimes we get our own little bubble okay uh, dare I say that uh, probably most of you here at sunrise have been uh, spoiled okay under a, a good uh, denomination under good uh, teaching okay and you kind of think well this is the way it always is for everybody Mm-mm. there's all kinds of messed up stuff out there anyway so I got into this one teaching authority over me Okay, and they began to teach, uh, you can lose your salvation. And it threw me for a loop. 
Because here I am, I'm you know, about a year old as a Christian. I'm very appreciative of eternal security, of the complete forgiveness of Christ. And yet my authority figures above me are saying, no. And they start whipping out scriptures and the classic ones with Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10, which is not dealing with uh, Christians. And if we had time to get in that, I would. I think we've dealt with that before in previous studies. Okay, and other passages, you know, in Paul, he said he's going to be disqualified. He wasn't talking about salvation. He's talking about his ministry. That's why he beat his body black and blue and, and just on and on and on. And stuff. But I didn't know, Right? And it started to get me to question. It's like, whoa, wait, what's going on? Well, maybe you can lose. And you start getting afraid and freaked out. It's like, have you guys noticed that even after you got saved, you've probably blown it at least maybe once. Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. It's called lying. Add it to the list. Okay. Uh, and so what did I do? Well, first of all, the nail in the coffin for me actually was, was that first year of Greek in Bible college. You talk about nailing. I mean, you, the, it's so explicit. It's just, it's a one time forever event with complete completion. There's you, no reversal of it. Okay. But you don't even have to go into the Greek as I began to go back into the scripture. And remember, what's the point? Are you approaching the scripture with, and being prepared with any preconceived ideas that, listen, I, the Bible comes first. The Bible comes first over man. And man's institution, the Bible comes first. I'm not saying to get some skeptical attitude, okay? But I'm telling you, sometimes it's going to happen. And that happened with me. And so I began to search. Oh, God, you know, what is it? Can I lose it? Am I going to do something, whatever? And, and, and let me just give an example. We've talked about this before. I don't think you even need to know Greek uh, to take, once you just get into the Bible, there's no stinking way that you can lose your salvation, okay? Now, let me just give you some common sense before I read even one verse, Okay? Let's be honest, guys. If even, not even 1%, percent of our salvation was based upon our behavior, how many of us would ever get to heaven? We'd all be burning in hell, myself included, right? So here's the logical thing. It better be 100% or this whole thing is a pipe dream. It's make-believe. So it'd either be, it'd either be a nothing or a, all or nothing, right? Now, that's just common sense logic, if we're honest with our sinful behavior, okay? Because people would say, well, you can lose your salvation. Okay, name the behavior. And so, are you going to be God, and you're going to define what that is? Are you going to go up there, which I don't recommend, crawl up on the cross, so to speak, and slap Jesus in the face and say, well, it wasn't good enough for this one? Because in essence, that's really what you're saying. People would say that you can lose your salvation. It's really the flip side of the same coin. They would say, oh no, they, oh, we, we don't think that you can work for your salvation. But flip the coin over, you're saying, I can work myself out of it. Isn't that the same side of the same coin? You know, whatever. So start to look at logic. But scripture, let me just read you a couple passages. John 5, 24, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word, Jesus speaking, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Does that include us? Yeah, Romans 8, 35, 38 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does that include us? Nothing means nothing. Nothing's going to separate us once our lives are hidden in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 8. He, God, will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blessed. 
blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He, God, anointed us, set his seal of ownership. We belong to him and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians 1, 14. The spirit of God is God's guarantee that he will give us everything he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. This is just one more reason for us to praise our glorious God because we know that there's, there's a big question mark there. We, we were going to praise God because we're afraid of losing it. No, it's crazy, folks. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to, to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4, 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Who's doing the work here? Whose salvation is it? Right? What can take us out of his hand? Is anybody glad? <laughs> yeah, and that's still not all. Uh, he says this. He says, Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Hebrews 9.12, He, Jesus, did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.15, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And 1 Peter 1, 3-4 says, He has given us new birth into a living hope, into an inheritance, what? That can never perish, never spoil, never fade. Listen, it's kept in heaven from you. It's in heaven. Who's going to go up there, crawl up to heaven, and rip it out of God's hand? And that's why John says this, 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you. It's right here. I write these things to you. Why? So that you may believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Yay! That's what the Bible says. Okay? Now listen. That's easier said than done because that's pretty much the core of this church, right? That's, that's what the denomination teaches. That's what you... I'm telling you, there's people out there freaked out because that's not what they're being taught. So how could somebody come to... And that's not all of them, guys. How could somebody come to that? How could somebody, dare I say, denigrate the cross of Jesus Christ and say it was not sufficient and it was not finished that we have to do it on our own, complete the job? Bible interpretation. Context, context, context. You're ripping these things out of context. And, and, and you have this idea in your brain that you can. So what you do is you go to the scripture and allow it as we saw exegesis last time. Let the Bible speak out to you. No, you go in there and you rip verses out and make them agree to what you want it to say. It happens all the time. And that's why I love his question. Okay, listen, us, even us here. When we approach the scripture, are we willing to sit, lay down? Okay, you know, everybody talks, well, you need to have an open mind. You've got to have an open mind, right? You know, sometimes if you have an open mind too long, you wonder if the brain's done fall out. With all due respect, you know, you've got, you got to have some sort of filter going. Okay, but in all seriousness, when it comes to the Bible, yeah, you do need to have an open mind. In, in this sense, if I come across something, and I'm, do, I'm doing CSI on this baby, I'm not going in there with my preconceived ideas, but if I go in there and my instructors are saying, I can lose my salvation, but I'm whipping out verse after verse after verse after verse after verse after verse that says, no, you cannot. Baba goes first. Right? Baba has to come first. Okay? 
I'm telling you, that's how we need to approach the scripture because it's going to happen, okay, if it hasn't already happened uh, to you, okay? Let, let me give you another uh, example. And I want to give you this because I want to see how you to handle this, okay? I was sat under a, a, another uh, a, a internship, had authority over me, pastor, and uh, doing cool for a while. And then all of a sudden, I don't know how it's not, well, I kind of know how it was. My guess is it was certain people showed up at the church and had this particular bent on this doctrine, that false teaching, and started getting the ear of the pastor, all right? And it was the word of faith stuff that we just got done preaching on here a couple Sundays ago, right? And it was, you know, the name it and claim it and the blab it and grab it and we're guaranteed to have, uh, you know, all kinds of cash and Cadillac and all money. And it was just, it was just like, oh, and I actually, in respectfully, would go and, you know, pastor, I just, man, I just, you know, be careful. This guy, you know, can I give documentation, whatever? And it just, it just wasn't going anywhere. It just seemed like all of a sudden the other was getting the better of the ear and whatever. And so, you know what I did? I stuck around there and I divided that church right in two and I made a big stink and I, I, I made, I, behind the scenes, I mocked the pastor. I talked to him, smack about him. I told people how wrong. No. Quietly and quickly left. He's my authority. I respect the position of the authority. Okay? I'll let God deal with that. I'm not the pastor of this church. God will deal with it. Okay? I learned many years later. I think he finally found out. But it was not my place to be an agent of destruction in the church. I wasn't the shepherd of that church. And I left. My wife and I, we just had to go. And God led us to something else. Okay? It's going to happen. Why? Because the Bible came first. There was no way in the world I could bend to that teaching. If it's in here, that's fine. But there's no stinking way that I can see how you can justify that you are guaranteed to drive a Cadillac and wear Armani suits if you just have enough faith and have perfect healing and perfect health and perfect wealth. Can't do it, right? So again, there's some times when you need to, uh, as he's talking about, can you, can you deal with that? Is that really how you're approaching the scripture? But if you do it, what do you do? Uh, make things worse? No. You need to, again, uh, biblically. David, when he w- had to sit under uh, Saul, what did he do? Respected him. Saul wasn't right, was he? No. He had the position, so what did David do? David proved his leadership ability. David proved his skill. David proved what kind of a leader he was. By what? Yeah, it was, it was a good time. Okay. He was, a, he was, even though he could have, and even though the people around him was egging him on, get him, get him, get him, kill him. He's right in the cave. You can get him. You can finally, be, aren't you sick and tired of being on the run? Get him. And he, and he, just for a little bit, touched the hem of his garment. And God convicted him. No, I'll take care of it in my time, right? Let's go to the next one. Here's what it says. Number two, he says, am I willing to, listen, this is a big one today. Not only preconceived ideas, denominational ideas, when I approach the scripture, proper biblical interpretation, am I willing to lay aside my cultural filter? Man, this is big today in the church. Cultural filter in such a way that if the evidence of the text weighs against the popularly held view, okay, I will yield to the clear teaching of the word of God. Right? Can I give you a couple cultural issues that people are sliding on in the church today? Can anybody guess what the first one is? All right. Homosexuality, right? Okay. Anybody recently that unfortunately prepares chicken food for people to eat uh, get in a ruckus over that issue? 
You know what I'm talking about. I don't even, you're just making me say it, aren't you? Chick-fil-A. <laughs> it's on video too. That's wrong. <laughs> right? Taking the stance. Paying the heat for it. And every single born-again Christian and every single church in America absolutely agreed with them. That's what it killed. How, how can you do that? Old Testament news. How do you get around that? Can I tell you why? You know what people say? Well, that's your interpretation. Well, you know, that was back then. God was harsher back in that reality. But today, we're more understanding. Or, yeah, God said that's a choice, i.e. a sin, because sin is a choice, did you know? And, 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 but, 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 you see, we have science today, and we know that what that is, is that's an issue that people are born with. Are people born thieves? You choose to go down that route. In fact, you know, once you start going down that route, as if it's an initial temptation then you might become a bigger thief and a worse thief and begin to rationalize why you have to be a thief. And all, you see what I'm saying? Okay. Now, with that caveat, I think the American church has done uh, a disjustice on how to handle this issue because we have made this the sin issue. Well, that's not how you approach it. I got to deal with family members and, and friends who are involved in this stuff. So every time that uh, we have a discussion, man, I'm, I bring that up. No, not necessarily. Because it's not a sin issue, it's a sin issue. And usually when I'm witnessing to folks, okay, I don't even have to bring this issue up. It's not because I'm trying to skirt it. It's because it's become such a cultural hot topic that the moment you even start to go down that route, they shut you off. And that's not what they need, okay? When a person becomes born again, and I got other friends who used to be involved in that, and as soon as they get born again, guess what they immediately, even though they were a big proponent just before that, what do they say? It's wrong. Because the Spirit of God is inside them now, and He starts to clean them from the inside out. Right? So you don't have to hit it head on. I just, it's a sin issue, and I say this, hey, listen, whoa, you're getting sidetracked on this. Have you ever told a lie? Yeah? You ever taken something without permission? Stealing? You ever worship anything besides God? You know, an idol? You ever use the Lord's name in vain? I'm using the Ten Commandments. Right? To show them what the Bible says. We've all sinned. It's not that sin. It's sin. Right? And so if you're sharing with somebody like that, please don't go the other end of the spectrum and make matters worse. And I think that's why, unfortunately, it's starting to blow up in the church's face, okay, is because we're handling it wrong. Right? I'm not saying go the other way, in, uh, like the, the way of the culture. Well, I guess it's acceptable because, it, no. But then don't make it worse and become the big, you see where I'm going with this? All right? How do you come to that agreement? How could, as we saw, and I really think it's more than this, but this is an old stat. How is it that 33% of the people professing to be Christians in the church say it's okay? Bible interpretation. How do you approach this? No matter what you think, what you do, okay, if it says, ooh, that's sin, what are you going to do? Check your heart. Do a reality check. God, that's a sin. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? Would you please help me? Would you, you see what I'm saying? Is that how we approach scripture? See, that's an easy one. That's a big one. Let's, let's, let's see if we can't get some meddling going on. Okay? The spirit of Scooby-Doo is all over me. Remember that cartoon? Remember that? How we would have made it for, for those meddling kids. Right? Pastors can meddle sometimes. You know that? Uh, how about this one? How about, uh, here's, a, here's, a, here's a good Christianese word. Uh, fornication. This is a cultural one today, right? That is basically any kind of sex outside of marriage. But it even goes even more. Pornea, 
in the Greek, there's not just pornography and that issues. It's anything, and it, which would involve even going down like bestiality, orgies, and things that it's just anything of that nature. Uh, and even outside of marriage, and of course, some of that sin isn't even appropriate for in marriage. But you know what I'm saying, right? Well, you know, God knows that we love each other. It's okay in His eyes. I mean, in His eyes. I mean, listen, it's just a ring, it's just a piece of paper, and you know, don't you know that it was some Roman culture back then, and it's, it's like what, you know, God, in his eyes, it's, no, it's not. Bible says don't do it. All right, let's take it a little step further. This one's really crazy in the church today. How about, here's the code word, cohabitation, right? And that's when you store animals on your property, right? No, <laughs> kind of sounds like it. No, it means you're basically living together. You know, hey, no, wait a second, Ruth. God knows our heart. He, he knows that we wouldn't do anything. Well, hey, the Bible says flee from temptation, not flirt with it. The Bible says avoid all appearances of evil. I'm not saying you do anything, okay? But you don't want to put yourself in a position to become this. Hey, do you see brothers, all those sisters? You don't even want to go there. Why even uh, give the impression of that? Why even go that route? Why, why flirt with it? Why, why mess with it? Jesus, we've talked about this before. Jesus, the woman at the well. Well, well that's your interpretation, Pastor Billy. That's a, don't you know the... No, what's the Bible say, John 4? The woman at the well, right? Jesus called her on the carpet. He said, hey, go call your husband. He knew what she say, right? I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you're right. You've had, what, four or five husbands? And the man you're with now is not your husband. So she was living with somebody. And so the question, guys, proper biblical interpretation. Was Jesus saying, that's a great lifestyle? Was Jesus saying, it's okay, in my eyes, I know you love each other. No. Did he call her on the carpet for her sin? Why? Because he loved her. Why? Because every single passage in this Bible is for our good. Not bad, and if God, whether the culture likes it or not, whether it's convenient or not, okay, he says don't do it. When we approach the scripture, that's why I love even breaking it, do a reality check. We see, we could say that for the big ones, but when you start going down into these little areas that we say, oh, that's a gray area. No. Are you prepared to do that? God, wow. We're in sin. We need to fix this, right? That's what he's talking about there. Okay, let me, I'll touch another hot topic, okay? And again, you might seem kind of weird here, but that's right. We all know that men have become these lazy slobs. Haven't you watched the Simpsons? They've turned into Homer Simpsons. And, and yet we've got to have strong leadership in the church. And therefore, in these last days, God has raised up women pastors. Ooh, he's really going to meddling now. No. Men have always been called to lead the church. Even in the Old Testament, the men were the leaders. It's always been male leadership. Well, you guys are being sexist. No. Okay? Men and women, how many guys have noticed this, were a little bit different. It's shocking, isn't it? Big shock. Okay? Yeah. Okay? We're different because we're different by God's design. We fulfill different functions, but can I tell you something? Both functions are equally important, but they're just different, right? It's like peanut butter and jelly. You could have just a jelly sandwich. You could have a peanut butter, water, 
But if you put them both together, hey, it slides down pretty good and tastes great, doesn't it? And so when you see how God has designed, he's got different roles for women, and that's important. He's got different roles for men. Just leave it alone. It's like peanut butter and jelly. Works awesome. But no, because what? The cultural influence of feminism has come in and says, no, the women need to be more like the men. The men need to be more like the women. And what they're trying to create is what's called a unisex, or the term that they use today is called a metrosexual. They're trying to make us into this just one little conglomeration of what? And things are getting messed up. Marriages are getting messed up. Kids are messed up. Uh, relationships are messed up. Uh, it, everything's messed up. And, and I, well, this is a whole other conspiracy topic or whatever. But if you want to take over the country, you know one of the things that you go for? This is actually a tactic, okay, that the communists have used. I don't know if we've talked about this before. Okay, what you do is you go for the family. Because if you destroy the family, the nation is sure to go. Or is, is families in America struggling? Right? Big time. Okay? And, and, and uh, I'll just give you one example. And this was from a lady who wrote this book uh, from Canada. And I got the actual audio recording. She shared this. I go, wow, what an absolute mind-blowing. I had no idea. And she shared in her research. And she wrote the book for her sons. Because she wanted her sons to know what was, uh, how to treat ladies. Biblically, properly. Okay? Ladies uh, oftentimes will come to me and they'll say, Pastor Billy, where's all the knights in shining armor? Where, where's all the guys, you know, that'll bring you flowers and treat you this and take... I says, well, hey, listen, do you, do you make them open the door for you? Well, no. I, <laughs> I said, well, you got to train them. I'm not kidding you. I, I've said this before. I'm actually already, already working with my daughter, Rebecca. We've already had the discussions. And I, I love these little teaching moments that God gives us. Okay, and I go to open the door for her. I, I, the male, if she's with me, I open the door for her. Why? Because I, the guy that I've been praying for better look like what I've been praying for. <laughs> or he's out of there. I don't care, man. So I'm, I'm going to borrow some camo uh, gear from you. And uh, <laughs> maybe a couple of weapons, you know, that comes over and paint my eyeballs. I'm going to look real freaky when he comes over. So, but uh, no. <laughs> But I'm training her what to look for in a man. And I want a man who's a godly man. As soon as our kids were born, or in conception, before they were even born, began to pray for the salvation. As soon as they got, uh, both of my kids, uh, uh, by the grace of God, got saved, immediately began praying uh, that if they should ever get married, begin to pray for their future spouses. And still to this day, uh, every single day, virtually praying for that. And so I got a picture of what I have in mind. So, but I have to train her. I have to train my son how to treat women, okay? Uh, because we don't know today. We were in a third uh, pagan generation, okay? And so I teach her that the, the man is to open the car door for you. And she's starting to get to the point where she will actually hesitate until the man comes over and gets the door. Yes. When we go into an eating establishment, okay? You guys ever kind of spice up your stuff? Maybe your finances are a little bit low? Have you ever eaten at that uh, fine... Scottish restaurant, McDonald's, huh? That's some fancy eating there. You know what I'm saying? It's McCool. You know what I'm saying? Or you go to that f uh, French restaurant, you really want to take your wife out? Denae's. Huh? Sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, whatever. So when we're at these fine eating establishments, uh, guess who opens the door? Go in, the man opens the door. Okay. Uh, uh, guess who, and of course she's a little bit young, but still... Uh, guess who's shelling out the cash in their pocket for what needs to be taken care of? The meal or the ice cream or whatever. The man. But ladies, what have you been tricked and schnookered uh, by feminism to do? 
own, get, get out of here. What do you think I am? Some sort of a wimp? I can get my own door. I can buy my own food. What do you think I am? <laughs> Usually the guy starts running. Okay. Right? It's peanut butter and jelly. Can I tell you a little secret, ladies? Men will treat you oftentimes, oftentimes, don't say every time, the way that you demand to be treated. I'll just give this and I gotta move on. Man, we're not getting anywhere tonight. Uh, uh, is Brandy, when I first met her in Bible college, right? And uh, finally got enough nerve up to uh, walk her to the car after the uh, class, right? And I walked her to her car and she was over here on the driver's side, the windows were down. And I looked into the deal and I says, hey, uh, uh, can, can I give you my number? And she looked at me and she goes, no. Okay, brush my teeth. Come on, <laughs> I think I didn't eat broccoli. So, and uh, she says, "But if you would like to take mine and call me, you can." What does she do? From the very get-go, she set the bar. No, I'm not going to grow. You're, no, the Bible says that women. This is a whole biblical interpretation. Women are weaker vessels. <laughs> Man, we can. Really, what the word is that's going on there in the Greek, it's a misunderstanding. Uh, it's precious. Women are more precious, more delicate. Okay? Men, have you noticed that there's a different emotional makeup with your ladies? Just go like this. Don't smile too big or you're in trouble on the way home. Okay? Trust me. Trust me. So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when it comes to the emotions, right, they're more precious. They're more delicate. They're easily, like that, right? Okay? Brandy and I, when we first got our first kid, Sammy, my wiener dog, he was my first son, Ron. I, I still, she resists, but. And uh, so we, I learned this. And uh, she has a more delicate, precious emotional makeup than me, right? Guys, you know, the earth's blown up. We're cool. All right. Was, you know, that's all right. And uh, so our first son, I picked her up. Uh, and uh, she, I got to our, our, we had a little trailer. And I was, uh, got out of the car first. And I was getting ready to unlock the door. And so I'm sitting here. And, and uh, all of a sudden I hear, like that. And when she had got out of the door, Sammy had tried jumping to our little wiener dog. And uh, she closed his head, smashed it right in the door. And he's on the ground. So I'm sitting there, I'm just guy, right? I think I have three emotions in me. And so I'm doing the thing, I go, Rrr! I look at that thing. And then Sammy's on the ground and he's going, right? And Brandy's going, Rrr! running down the cul-de-sac. She thought she killed him, right? And so I'm kidding you not. I'm sitting there and my brain's just going, because we're, men are plotters, right? We're planners. You know, we like to plan stuff. We like to fix things. We're good in crises sometimes. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, dog, he's twitching. Looks like he's going to be okay. Go get wife. So she doesn't hurt herself. So go to get wife. She comes over and Sam's okay, whatever. But it taught me a powerful lesson. Men and women are different, but that's okay. Okay? You leave it alone. She's more precious, okay? Uh, uh, on, the, on the positive side, the fact that I wasn't as emotional was good in a time of crisis, wasn't it? Right? And, and, and so as men, the Bible says, husbands, understand your wives, right? And, and when you read that verse, biblical interpretation, every time you read that, men, doesn't that theme to Mission Impossible go through your brain? Again, just don't smile too big. You're going to be, no. And one thing you have to understand is they're more precious. They're more delicate, okay? God has wired us as men, leaders, to take the hits of life. Then when a time of crises, men are to rise up and be the man and take charge of the situation and lead the people to safety, right? Men are called to be that. Why? Because we're being sexist. No, because women in general don't really react that well typically when stuff like that happens. 
Now, on the positive side, when it comes to raising a family and the nurturing aspects needed in, in the family, in the bonding unit, women got that all, all over the place. You know what? Guys, how many guys would you get your newborn kid? You love your child, right? Okay? And the moms are there going, mm, 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 kissing the baby. Mm, here's their first diaper. And, oh, and then they go, here you go. And what do you do? <laughs> right? You don't know what to do. Okay? And so, but guess what? Okay, so maybe, you know, in that aspect, we're not the best for nurturing emotionally, but guess what? She's there to pick up the slack, so to speak, right? Peanut butter and jelly. Men, in times of crises, we've got the emotional makeup that we can handle it, but women, when it comes to the emotional makeup, typically, they can't handle it. So we need to come alongside, husband, understand your wives, that they're more precious, they're more delicate, okay? God has not wired them like us. There's positive benefits in other aspects, So it doesn't mean it's just a complete negative. It's just you fit together like your differences are meant to complement, not conflict. Just do it God's way. Don't mess with it. It'll be okay. Okay, is what he's talking about. They're more precious. I'll give you one more analogy. It's like, man, uh, God has wired us, if you will, like a, 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 you go to Taco Bell and you get that expando turbo size meal and you get that giant plastic cup, right? Okay, if it fell over on the ground, what happens to the cup? No big deal, right? It just bounces back, whatever, and get a refill. Okay, but if it was a fine china goblet, how do you handle that thing? Very precious, very delicate. Because it's, it's, it's weaker, it's inept. No, it's actually more precious. And it needs to be handled with care. Right? Very valuable. That's what the Bible says about men and women. Don't mess with it. And so when it comes to this cultural issue, are you going to listen to feminism? Or are you going to say, well, God, I, 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 you don't know this yet. You haven't studied the scripture yet. What it really means by precious. All you hear is this stuff about feminism and women and this and a right and men are being tyrants or whatever. You haven't got here yet, but you come across the Bible and that's not what the Bible's saying. What do you do? Do you bend to the culture? Or do you say, you know what, God, I mean, I have all the answers right now. And all my friends, all my influences, the school, the media is telling me something contrary. But I'm sticking to your word. Is that how we approach the Bible? I'm telling you, this is, this is serious stuff. Because you, you slide one time. You slide one time and you are headed into sin. You keep sliding, you keep pushing it, you're going into false teaching. And if you, it becomes your pet peeve doctrine, your secondary issue that you've got to cram into every conversation because you know what's right, you become a false teacher. I'm convinced, I don't think that every false teacher or somebody who continues to propagate false teaching wakes up one day as a Christian and goes, today, I am going to become a false teacher. Yeah. How's that happen? One slip. One compromise. I know it's what it says, but I think it says this. And that's what he says. And we'll say this in closing. We didn't get too far, but praise God. He says, to be honest, uh, it is, is the whole key, isn't it? Unless we are willing to do these two things, our desire is not to know what God's word has to say in our human condition, but to listen, dictate to God how we think things ought to be. Right? Flip over to Genesis chapter 3 and we'll close with this. This is what's going on. This is the same lie that started the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1. If you find the glossary, what do you do? 
Hang right. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? Now isn't that the question? I mean, you just read it. You just read that. I mean, come on. It's so clear in the scripture. Uh, Homosexuality is wrong. Fornication is wrong. Cohabitation is wrong. Jesus called the woman out on the carpet. That's just one passage, okay? Uh, pastors, women pastors, stuff like that. He said, I don't care how, what you want to cop on men. And yeah, there are some men that unfortunately become lazy slobs with all due respect. Okay, I'm not condoning that. But that doesn't make it right. Two wrongs don't make it right. Okay? And so, and so I don't care. But, 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 but listen, did God really say that that was wrong? Where do you think that thought ever comes from? It's the same tactic he used to get us into the mess we're in. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the servant, hey, we may eat uh, uh, fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now listen, he moves to stage two. Once he baits you with, uh, you doubt. You question. It's like, no, I know my Bible says it's wrong. I don't care if 93% of the church says it's okay. I don't care if 99% of the church is sliding. Uh, I know what God says. But then what happens? He calls God a liar. You not surely die. It's, it's fine. Don't you know it's okay? Come on. Everybody's doing it. What's big, what are you, some stick in the mud? What are you, some religious wacko? And here comes the religious peer pressure, right? He says this. And he says, no. He says, you, you, you don't surely die. Now listen, here's that. For God knows. See, he's holding out something from you. Again, name one command that's bad for us. Is God holding anything out from us? No, it's all right here. It's plain, black and white. He says, for you, God knows when you're going to eat of it. Okay, listen. He says, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Can I tell you, in essence, what I felt led to share was when we play fast and loose with the scripture, when even though it's plain in the scripture, no, that's not my denomination, teaches. With all due respect. When we come across a pattern, no, 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 that's not, it doesn't feel right to me. No, that's not what the culture says. That's not what my friends say. You know what you just said? It's the same lie. You have decided in your heart what is good and what is evil. In essence, you are playing God with God's word saying, no, you know better. And it's the same goofball temptation that started the whole mess. Are you starting to see, even in Three paragraphs tonight. <laughs> this analogy is very applicable, isn't it? CSI. You better get in here. This isn't just, oops, made a mistake on the taxes. Okay, and that's a big deal. You know, the IRS will get you. Okay, but guess what? Listen, this is forever. This is eternity on the line. Okay, it's your walk with Jesus Christ. And I hope we never get to the point where we are preaching, we'll get to this, Lord willing, week after next, a false gospel in the church. That isn't happening, is it? Where we would cave in just for the sake of numbers, just to get people to show up, to jack up our attendance. And we want them desperately to stay. So we will refuse to talk about sin or hell or the cross or God's wrath or anything of that. Just so they'll feel comfortable and stay here. That's happening in the church today. Yeah, Bonnie, we'll close.
Oh, gosh. Okay, hang with me on this. I, I'll give you the historical perspective. Okay, it actually started from Europe. Okay, at the turn of the last century in the 1900s, okay, what happened was uh, it became the in vogue thing in ministry that after you finished your graduate studies, you went overseas to Europe, okay, to do your doctorate. Okay, this is how the filth got over here to the United States. Liberalism is what you're talking about, okay, which is not Christianity. It's just basically Christianity on the outside, but there's nothing on the inside. Okay, just you got the stained glass windows, you got a pulpit, you got somebody wearing a robe, okay, and they might even have a degree. Doesn't mean they're born again, okay? And they deny the deity of Jesus Christ, they deny salvation through Jesus Christ alone, they deny his humanity, his deity, the Trinity, and just on and on. It's just, it's just Christianity name only, is all it is. Okay, what happened was, guess what? It started out okay, but pastor after pastor after pastor after pastor after pastor, okay, came back from Europe. Now, what was going on with Europe? Europe, where the Reformation started, if you can believe this, was gone dark, okay? And so they were into liberalism, okay? And rationalism. And guess what didn't help the thing? The lie of evolution, okay, was much more rampant over there. Well, what happened is they brought the infection back with them. And then these pastors who went over there with their doctorates over in Canada and the United States, they came back and they began to teach at the seminaries who taught even more pastors or went back into churches and pulpits because everybody wants to have a doctoral whatever pastor, right? <gasps> Look at his title. Surely he's good. Well, first of all, stop calling me Shirley. And, uh, but second of all, what he would come back was this mindset of liberalism. And it was just the in vogue thing. Now, listen, this is what's really cool. Shortly after that, it began to really, uh, in America, the next couple decades, begin to really take off. In America, we would have been it, down in the dark ages by now. If it weren't for some faithful men in the church, the American church that God raised up, okay, and they were called uh, the fundamentals, which has now become a negative term today. Did you know that? Okay, now these were the men that God raised up and says, no, I'm sorry, I don't care what doctor, I don't care if you graduate from Oxford, who cares? Oxford, Smoxford, that's not what the Bible says. And God raised up faithful men and they began to produce massive amounts of literature to contradict and counteract this liberalism. And that actually, because God raised up those men, it actually staved it off for many more decades. Until about the 60s. And then relativism began to take in and things began to slide. You had uh, the Eastern mysticism began to come over into America. The Beatles really helped make that popular, unfortunately, amongst other entities. The drug culture, all this, and loose living and everything. Okay, all this going on. Okay, and now we're end up with what we got. But what you see is for a while, uh, that happened. Now listen, it's gotten even worse in the seminaries, okay? Got actual testimonies, and I've shared this before, is that... Uh, 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 share a testimony of a, a pastor who was uh, speaking at a conference for pastors. Okay. And uh, there was another guy there who was teaching the conference, pastor. And as he intermingled with him uh, throughout that conference weekend, he began to realize based on his verbiage and when he was sharing, this guy's not even saved. And this is the guy teaching the pastor's conference. So he says, the good news, it this one ended well. I'll tell you another one that's freaky. He says, uh, he actually led that pastor teaching the pastor's conference to Christ that weekend. Now, if that guy didn't show up and if he didn't challenge him and if he didn't love him enough to tell the truth, what would happen? You have a non-person who's got a title teaching what? Teaching this filth. Teaching this liberal mindset. Well, don't you? I know it's what the Bible says that God created everything in six literal days, but don't you know we're much more smarter than God now? And once you start sliding down that crack, it opens up all kinds of stuff. I know the Bible says that all this behavior is wrong, but don't you know that, you know, we have genetics and biological information. 
No, I don't think so. And I showed the other one before you, and this one probably is the most dramatic one that I've heard. Actual testimony, I'm not making this up. And this was in another seminary. And it was uh, the graduating week. And uh, the uh, pastor, a guy who went on to pastor, said that uh, at the very end, his instructor, whom he looked up to, had the whole class full of students, like here tonight. And he just, at the very end, the very last class, right before graduation, he posed the question, he says, and now, how many of you guys even believe this baloney? And at first he thought, he was sitting on the desk, he actually thought, he says, I just thought he was just, you know, kid being funny, you know, whatever. And then it dawned on him, he was deadly serious, and he was like, and then he says, that was bad enough. He says, then he said, I saw almost every single hand my fellow classmates in that seminary go up. He said, I, it was just, it was like I was walking in this fog in this daze. It was like some whacked out twilight zone scenery thing. He says, I'm walking out of the class. I can't hardly even think. And he says, and two of my fellow classmates went behind me or went beside me. And I just overheard them go, yeah, you know, I, I know this is just a bunch of blood. He says, but you know, I figure it's a pretty good gig. Pretty good way to make a living. In the seminary. Now, these are the people who get behind the pulpits. 49% of pastors in America do not have a biblical worldview. So that means one out of two churches you go to, by and large, on average, across America, been spoiled here. Right now, what's going on in the country? One out of two, you're not getting the Bible. Now, it rolls downhill. Answer your question, and we'll close. That has now produced this. 93% of people who are professing Christians do not have a biblical worldview. The Bible does not drive their thinking. It does not drive their thought process. So flip it around. That's only 7% of people professing to be Christians in the church, even though it's on their doctrinal statement, live by this book. Now, does that answer some questions why things are so messed up? Now, does that maybe even answer some questions of what happened in the last election and the election before and what's going on even politically? Okay? How, how could that happen? How could it get to the point where half the pastors in our country don't have a biblical worldview? It's this. The first second that one of those guys went over to Europe and they started spouting off this baloney should have just stood up and walked out or at least challenged them, then walked out. I'm sorry, professor. I don't care how many degrees you got. I don't care that nifty robe and sash you're wearing and that jamming looking hairdo. Okay, listen, this is what the Bible says. I'm out of here. But you don't. And you suck it up and you just a little bit. It's like food poisoning. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh, no, and just, it's over. This is how, this is one of my, believe it or not, and maybe that's why it's taking so long. This is one of my favorite topics to teach on. Because if you get this wrong, it messes everything up. And I don't know about you, but I want to know why things are so stinking messed up today. It's right here. So if you and I here at Sunrise do not get a handle on this, how to properly approach the scripture, we're going to do the same thing. And I hope that never happens to us. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell. 
and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? 
It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive his pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God. You have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth he is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.